Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Scripture Uncovered. So we left off last time with Peter, another great sermon by Peter. 5,000 people are now in the embryonic infant church, and the church continues to grow. Of course, the authorities took notice, and they arrested Peter and John. And they told them in no uncertain terms, never speak of this again. Zip it up. You are officially silenced. Well, that didn't silence Peter or John. They kept right on teaching and preaching. The Holy Spirit is working overtime. Now, I've noted in the past that if we look at Scripture, Genesis through Revelation in the Christian canon, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are on every page of Scripture, from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation 22. Think of Scripture as a stage on which a play takes place. In Genesis through Malachi, the Old Testament, God the Father is the primary figure of the Trinity at the forestage. With Matthew and the Gospels, God the Son is the primary figure on the fourth stage. And with Acts through Revelation, God the Holy Spirit is on the fourth stage. At this point in our story, in the book of Acts, with the birth of the church at Pentecost, A.D. 32, the Holy Spirit will be the engine driving all the action from this point to the end of Revelation. The Holy Spirit. You know, I think many pastors, many preachers, many priests and deacons, many Bible teachers spend an awful lot of time speaking about God the Son and a fair amount of time speaking about God the Father. But how often do you hear Anyone speak of God, the Holy Spirit? You know, I look back over 30 years of teaching Scripture, and I, I should have focused a lot more on the Holy Spirit than I did. Well, now it's time to do that for a while, because right here in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is the engine driving the action. On the Feast of Pentecost, A.D. 32, with the birth of the church, the whole room shook, there was a sound like a freight train driving through Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit descended upon them, and the church was born. We left off on Monday. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So we've framed this birth of the church from Acts chapter 2 right here through Acts chapter 4. Now we learn again. All the believers were one in mind and heart. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Because again, these are all visitors in Jerusalem who have long overstayed their planned vacation. So they passed the hat. Anyone with money in their pocket put it in the hat. Anyone with a working credit card put it in the hat. And they all shared. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace 
was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the feet of the apostles, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. You see how they're all pitching in? Some people came to Jerusalem, wealthy people from Rome or, or Spain or Asia Minor, Ephesus. Others saved their entire life to make the journey in steerage. But now they all share. And those who had resources would sell property, They'd put in a, a call to their broker, sell the vacation house in, uh, on Cyprus, and put the money in the pot. They were all together, a family. Now, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, up on the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean, whom the apostles called Barnabas, Barnabas means son of encouragement. I like Barnabas a lot. Barnabas will team up with St. Paul and they'll do the first missionary journey together. Barnabas. His name was Joseph, but he always encouraged people. Can't you just see him? You're having a tough time. Barnabas comes up, puts his arm around you and says, I'll help you out here. Here, let me help you lift that. Let me help you with that chore you're doing. Let me help you with the problem you're having. Son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned, presumably in Cyprus, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Well, that was very, very nice of him. He could see the need in the community. He was a well-to-do man. So he sold some property in Cyprus and brought the money to the apostles to be used to help the poor in the church. Well, when people saw that, they thought, my, isn't that nice? And look how everyone is treating Barnabas as a result. Well, he's a, he's a walking hero around here. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, they, they watched this and they thought, you know, we, we can do that too. We, we'll raise our esteem in this little community. So they also sold a piece of property. Now notice we're told that Barnabas sold the land in Cyprus and brought the money from the sale and gave it to the apostles. Ananias and Sapphira were going to do the same thing. And they thought, well, let's see, that property is worth, uh, I, I, I bet we could get $50,000 for it. So they put it on the market. They called the, the broker and it sold for 100000 Oh, well, let's see. We were thinking of donating 50000 what we thought we'd get for the land. Now we got double that. So let's keep the excess. I imagine Ananias and Sapphira had said to Peter, you know, We've heard about Barnabas and what he did. Good man. We would like to do the same thing. We're going to sell some property and give you the whole amount. But they got a lot more than they planned. So they kept it back. They gave the money to Peter to help with the poor 
He said, oh, wow, you got 50000 for the land. Yes, we did. That's the whole thing. <laughs> Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? It didn't belong to you before you sold it. It was your land. After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You could do whatever you wanted with it. But you lied. You didn't lie to me. You lied to God. When Ananias heard this, he dropped dead. <laughs> he, he had an instant heart attack, <gasps> clunk, and hit the floor. A great fear seized all who heard what happened. And then the young men came forward. They wrapped up his body. They carried him out to bury him. Well, about three hours later, his wife came in. She had been getting a manicure and a pedicure. And... Uh, she came in, and she's looking for her husband. Where, where's Ananias? And Peter asked, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Oh, yes, that was the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They're going to carry you out too. And at that very moment, she too clutched her heart <gasps> and dropped dead. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Well, with that, great fear seized the whole church and everyone who heard about it. Oh, they said they got what they deserved. Oh, but hey, here, never lie to the Holy Spirit. You might lie to Peter. Don't lie to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows. Well, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Not the apostles, but God through the apostles. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Now, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So the church is growing and growing and growing. And as a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats, so that at least if Peter's shadow might fall on them, they'd be healed. This is extraordinary. You know, it... In Jesus' day, we see miracles in the, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. Elijah raises a dead child. Elisha raises a dead child. A lot of miraculous events in the Hebrew Scriptures. We see miraculous events in the New Testament. But what, what are they? Are they done for the sake of themselves? Or are they done to point out a meaning, something greater? So crowds gathered from all the towns around Jerusalem, bringing sick and tormented, those tormented by evil spirits, and they were all healed. These are sign gifts. As I noted, no one can perform a miracle, only God can perform a miracle. And if he's performing miracles through you, 
It suggests that you have a very intimate relationship with God, and the greater the miracle, the more implied intimacy. Peter is the leader of the apostles, and God is working mightily through him and giving him courage to stand up and speak. And the miracles validate his authority for doing so. They validate his relationship with God the Father and with God the Son. Now, the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. The Sadducees, they, you know, it wasn't so much a religious thing. Well, Peter's getting all the attention. They were the, they were the upper crust. They were the people with vested interests in the temple operations. They were wealthy people. They were the high and mighty, if you will. And they saw what was going on. All these people following Peter and the apostles and people being healed and this massive movement. And they thought, what the hell's going on here? They don't want anything to do with Peter and the rest. They, they arrested them and they put them in jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said. Tell the people the full message of this new life. So, the Sadducees are going to meet and decide what to do with these people. They got them in jail right now. So at daybreak, they entered the temple courts, the Sadducees, as they have been told. I'm sorry, at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple courts and began to teach the people. And when the high priest and his associates arrived, they all came together with the Sanhedrin. The full assembly of the elders of Israel, not an executive session as they brought Jesus before an executive session of the Sanhedrin at the home of Caiaphas. No, this is everyone. And they sent to the jail for the apostles. They had them under lock and key. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, they're gone. We, we found the jail securely locked, the guards standing at the doors, nobody inside. Now on hearing this report, the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what in the world and while they were pondering this, one man who's leaning against the window just happened to look outside, and there, there were the apostles. Someone said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching. They, they didn't run off and hide in a corner somewhere. They're right back out there. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They didn't use force. They feared the people would stone them. The people are behind Peter and Andrew and James and John, cheering them on. So having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Now can you, can you imagine that? Peter, now standing before the high priest, being interrogated by the high priest, just like Jesus was. 
And when Jesus was being interrogated by the high priest, Peter was cowering in a corner in the courtyard of the high priest, trying to be invisible. Not anymore. The high priest said, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, Oh, we're sorry, we shouldn't do that. No, <laughs> Peter replied, We must obey God rather than you. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are eyewitnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Clearly not you. Well, when they heard this, they were furious. They wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, honored by all the people. Gamaliel, the greatest rabbi of the first century AD. Gamaliel, also Paul's teacher. Oh, where do we get that? Gamaliel, very bright man, very thoughtful man, honored by everyone, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men be put outside. Please, he said, please step outside while we confer. So Peter and the others went outside. Door was closed. And Gamaliel said, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Now, some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, claiming to be a leader, the Messiah, if you will. About 400 men rallied to him. Well, he was killed and all his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census. He led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Notice, and I've noted before, every single revolutionary movement in the first half of the first century and into the second half originated in Galilee. When people said, ask, well, who is that? Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, one of those. A rabble rouser. Judas the Galilean led a band of people in revolt. He was killed, all came to nothing. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Just let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail like all the rest. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will find yourselves fighting against God. That was very sound advice. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged and then ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. 
The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts, not hiding in a back alley, not hiding in a, in a home somewhere, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So with boldness, with boldness, they continue teaching and preaching in the face of serious opposition by the religious leaders. Oh, don't you just love this? Peter, Peter is manned up, and the other apostles have as well, and they are not going to back down. But as the crowds get bigger and bigger, as more and more people become believers, so do the needs of that believing community. The needs become great. And the apostles are only 12 men. Oh, yes, there are others who are on the fringes. But this movement is growing very fast, along with the needs of the people in the movement. So how, how are they going to deal with this? What will happen to this very rapidly developing community, this early embryonic church? We will find out. So stick with me. I look forward to seeing you. Love being here with you. Blessings to you. Bye-bye now.